and good evening, everyone, or good morning, or good afternoon, whatever the case may be. Welcome to another edition live of The Other Side of Midnight. Um, you know, guys, I, I kind of want to apologize briefly here for last weekend. You can't count on thunderstorms in New Mexico, and you can't count on certain power companies, so enough said. Tonight, um, actually this weekend, we're doing an experiment because life is about to change big time. I've only been working toward this moment for the last, what, 20 30, 35 years, and in the next few months, as we're going to be discussing in some detail tonight, a lot of the things that we have been working for, when I say we, I mean all the people who have been looking at Mars and at images from official space agencies and have seen all kinds of extraordinary stuff, and all those agencies have said, now, 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 patting us on the head. There's nothing there. It's all pareidolia. Just go home and take your meds and you'll be fine. Well, something has changed, as we're going to talk about for the next three hours. And we are on the precipice of stunning planetary change. Uh, one small note. Um, there's no news tonight about the COVID-19 virus because nothing there has changed. We're still in the middle of a global pandemic, and uh, there are all kinds of contravening theories and hypotheses about what's really going on. As I've said over the last couple, three weeks, we are working quietly on our own COVID show, which will bring to the table some truly extraordinary original research and discoveries that we have made. And those, when they're on the table, when we can talk about them, when we can document them, which is what we're currently working on doing, they will change the game. I guarantee you they will change your conversation and perception of what is going on vis-a-vis COVID-19. I rarely make a flat ultimate prediction like, but in this case, given the data is so damn extraordinary, I think I can. And so just be patient in another maybe couple, three weeks, couple, two weeks, whatever. We'll have our act together. We'll have our credentialed people in, 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 in hand. We'll have our data double and triple checked. And so we're going to give you a COVID-19 show like you have never heard anywhere. And I guarantee, guarantee, I guarantee this time, It will change your perception because just one little hint, the game is so much bigger than anybody. And I've been reading everybody. I mean, everybody's sending me things from David Icke to, you know, a friend of ours in in Hawaii to people halfway around the world. None of them are close to what this discovery ultimately reveals about what is really going on. So without further ado, let me let me raise a couple of things here. Um, tonight, there are two spacecraft headed for Mars. The first one launched literally on the anniversary in the Western time zones of when Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin took their first steps on the moon 51 years ago, a few days ago, July 20th. At that same moment from Japan, a spacecraft the size of a small car um, was launched by the United Arab Emirates in their first unmanned mission to Mars. Now, they're not going to land. They're going to stay safely in orbit. It's a very elongated orbit. They're going to stay at their closest approach, at least in the initial plan, something like 12,000 miles above the surface. And their raison d'etre, the reason for their mission, is ostensibly to take synoptic imagery of the distribution of water vapor in whole disk images all over the planet. But one word of, um, shall we say, uh, prediction, orbits around other planets can be changed. And as I'm assiduously looking for the specs on the cameras that their orbiter carries, it is totally possible within the 
United Arab Emirates game plan to after their primary mission to lower the orbit of their spacecraft so they can, with the same camera, take much higher resolution views of objects and features and structures on the surface. Now, we don't know whether the United Arab Emirates knows what's waiting for them. A few years ago, in fact, about, uh, what is it, 1997, that's quite a few years ago, when the Pathfinder mission uh, first was sent to Mars with the little rover called Sojourner and landed in a tetrahedral spacecraft at 19.5 degrees by 33 degrees uh, west, um, an Arab country, Yemen, had two citizens who actually filed an international lawsuit with the world court against NASA for violating their family um, domain. They claimed in this suit that they literally owned the planet Mars by means of heritage, and they were rather unclear uh, in that specification. And they thereby claimed that NASA was infringing on their legal rights as owners of the landing site to even set a spacecraft down. So the Arab community has been looking at Mars with a very unusual perspective for a long, long time. I cannot help but wonder what the United Arab Emirates has in store by way of surprises given its first mission to the planet Mars. Moving on. A couple, three days later, on the 23rd of July, the Chinese space agency, their equivalent of NASA, launched its mission to Mars. And unlike any other that has been sent to the planet, where you start kind of simple with orbiters and then, or actually we start with flybys and then you go to orbiters and then you go to an orbiter which actually carries a lander and you land. And then ultimately in this evolution of technology, you send an orbiter which carries a lander, which carries a rover which lands, and then the rover is de-embarked from the lander spacecraft, and it treks out across the reddish Martian deserts. That was the uh, uh, history of, of Pathfinder. Well, the Chinese are attempting to do all of that on their first mission. Yes, you heard me correctly. They have sent a major spacecraft to Mars, left several days ago, it will arrive, as will the United Arab Emirates spacecraft, in February, as will the Americans, who are launching Perseverance, our new state-of-the-art rover, in about five days on the 30th, next Thursday. And all of them will arrive because of the mechanics of celestial orbits and home and transfers and all that, uh, just about the same time. In February of next year, February 2021, they all get to Mars. And the Arabs are going into orbit. They do not have the capability of landing. But they do have capabilities of surveying things from orbit, which might surprise some people if they choose to publish them. The Chinese, who are the obviously most ambitious, because no one in the history, the modern history of planet Earth, has ever package what the Chinese are trying to accomplish in one fell swoop at one time, because not only are they skipping all those intermediate steps, they are literally sending an orbiter and a lander and a very sophisticated rover all on the same mission. And according to the maps, which we're going to talk about tonight, one of their provisional landing sites is just north of the Pathfinder lander at 19.5 degrees. Now, are they going to try to duplicate that? I mean, the Chinese are up to their eyebrows in rituals. So given that NASA sent a tetrahedral spacecraft to 19.5 in 1997, 
Um, I would not put it past the Chinese to try to do them one better in the, uh, shall we say, ritual game uh, gambit. We will see. The point of all this is one of these three nations has telegraphed in a most extraordinary way that they are intending to go to Mars and to land and to reveal that there is life or certainly was life at some time on the surface of the planet Mars. And part of our discussion tonight with my guest, my sole guest in the first couple, three hours, depending upon who wants to join us in the third, is uh, my good friend and colleague, Ron Gerbron. And we are going to have an extraordinarily interesting conversation because one of these three nations has already, in the most exquisite Emily Dickinson fashion, revealed their agenda, that they are, in fact, going to reveal that there is life on Mars sometime after they land. Okay, so automatically we've eliminated the Arabs. They're going to stay in orbit. But we got two lander missions. So we've got the Chinese and we've got NASA with Perseverance, who, by the way, I saw in a news story the other day, they've already been shortening it to Percy. And, of course, Percy is a double entendre for the most famous Martian observer of all time, a gentleman who built an observatory just west of me here in the Land of Enchantment tonight over in in Arizona in a place called Mars Hill in Flagstaff, Arizona in 1894, Percival Lowell, a Boston Brahmin super businessman of the day, the kind of the Elon Musk or the um, uh, Bill Gates or the uh, Steve Jobs of, of his era decided to build in the arid Arizona deserts an observatory dedicated to observing Mars and thereby float an extraordinary tale. In this same time frame, an American author, a novelist, a fiction writer named Edgar Rice Burroughs began writing a stunning series of books about the planet Mars which he named Barsoom, and we might get into why he did that tonight. Point of fact is, it was the combination between Lowell and Burroughs that excited an entire one or two generations of Americans and really people all over the world to anticipate that when we finally had spacecraft and went to the Red Planet, we would confirm some, if not all, of the extraordinary things and adventures and tales and creatures depicted in Burroughs' extraordinary for their time novels. Well, history is played out a little differently, as we're going to talk about tonight. So without further ado, let me uh, introduce to you my guest, my sole guest for the evening, again, depending upon who wants to join us in the third hour, Ron Gerbron is a member of the Enterprise Imaging Team. He is a self-proclaimed, uncredentialed polymath. That means someone who knows a lot about a lot of different things. Ron was raised on a farm in Pennsylvania and collected arrowheads as a kid. He found the pragmatic aspects of education too limiting after attending a famous Quaker school in Pennsylvania. But ahead of his studies and his time, he attempted to contort himself into attending real colleges. In fact, he attended two major universities in California simultaneously before he gave up on academia and moved overseas. In all that time, he has focused his core attention on the metrology of our place in history, particularly other planets, and especially the planet Mars. Ron, welcome back to the other side of midnight. Well, thank you, Richard. Gee, I thought we were talking about uh, paleontological evidence of um, dentition uh, <laughs> in the in the uh, Neolithic period, but that's okay. I can I can I can riff it. Uh, yes, that's that actually sums it up uh, pretty well. The uh, and if anybody wonders how you attend two prestigious universities at the same time, uh, a live in a house with a couple of the professors that work at the various places and B, uh, make sure they're not too far apart. 
That may be for another show. We have so much to get into tonight. So look, let's let's put no, no. them all yes. out of their misery. Let us, since you're the guy who yes. found it, why don't you get into the story of how you figured out which space agency is going to spill the beans after decade and after decade and decade of dissembling and actually reveal, according to all the evidence we have tonight, that Mars not only was once inhabited, but there's current life existing on the planet right now, although maybe not advanced intelligent life. Jury's still out on that one. But they're certainly telling us in terms of messaging that they intend to spill the beans. How did you trip over this? Okay, I was looking for a uh, – actually, I was working on the maps because it's important to have a map. And uh, you'll notice in the um, panoply of images for tonight uh, – a bright orange map down there. Is it like number three? Uh, that is a um, map of uh, one of the standard maps of Mars, courtesy of uh, Emily Lectowella, who does uh, wonderful science articles and has produced a number of maps using the same backdrop that you're, anybody who follows Mars is familiar with. But um, she placed the um, landing places of the rovers on there. And so I, I Worked that together with a map of the uh, cities of Barsoom, and so you've got both on the same map, and uh, it's a start. There's a better one coming, but this is this will do for tonight. I, if I put any more inf- stuff on there, I realize it would be impossible to follow because maps have a lot of little tiny print. Okay. Anyway, for, 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 uh, for hang on for and, new for new listeners, let me tell everybody how to get to see these images because the images are going to be an important driver. Of tonight's show, you go to the other side of midnight.com. That's our URL, the other side of midnight.com. You click on that, and that will take you to our home page. Look at tonight's banner for the um, 25th of July, which has that gorgeous uh, Princess of Mars there on the left with Ron Gerbron as the prime guest for, as I said, the 25th. Click on that. That will take you to the guest page, to Ron's guest page. And right under the banner, you'll see uh, fast links. <clears throat> Click on fast links to Ron's items. That will take you down the page automatically to his number one, two, and three. So let's start with number one, which is a very interesting montage you created of both Chinese, shall we say, promotional imagery regarding their mission, as well as some historical data from Curiosity. So take it away. I was getting to that. Yeah, I was getting to that. Yeah, thing we should talk about. But the point is, I found that because the lower right uh, in that picture is a lovely picture of the lander for the Tinawan mission. Uh, that is, uh, everybody does that. You know, they give it. They put out a promo picture, but the background looked a little odd to me. And so I cleaned it up a little bit um, and uh, made it a little more presentable. And I said, wait a minute, there's something funny there. So the more I looked at the background of the photo, uh, let me just say anyone who does any sort of photo enhancement, whether you're cleaning up your selfies or whether you're doing it in a graphics artist art studio, you know there's a big difference between trying to improve or clean up or enhance a photograph of something and a painting, even if it's a photograph of a painting. Because, you know, anything that's painted on a flat surface is basically two-dimensional. You just, some things are just going to happen. And yet this was responding just like the images. So I decided to do the same protocols I used to clean up the NASA pictures to take away the things they do so that you can't see clearly in, uh, in other words, the noise that they deliberately inject into the image to obscure certain details. That's a kind way to put it. Yes, thank you. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I start. Well, I recognized the same signatures, the same little blurry spots and streaks, and I said, "Why would that be on a painting?" From you know, it, it China. Wouldn't have, so, Remember, it's on the other side yeah, of the planet. It, totally different political system. Too many people. Different technologies. Why would their background, an artistic background for a, a promo print, uh, react in the imaging programs you use for, for the NASA data exactly 
the same way. Right. Anyone who's a regular to this show and other ones of similar interest, you know, you've seen the uh, bone salt paintings uh, from the fifth. You've seen the um, uh, that famous poster from Boeing uh, showing the astronauts looking at the suspiciously ruined type stuff on Mars, wandering around in their spacesuits. And, you know, they've got lots of things to pick from. And besides, all you need is a flat piece of desert. I mean, they, they do this they did it for curiosity, for Pathfinder, for opportunity and spirit. And so here's the Chinese one, but there's this more elaborate background there. And so I dug into it. And uh, then I realized I recognized the place. There was a, uh, on the horizon in one of the pictures from Sol 844 of Curiosity, uh, there was some interesting stuff on the ridge, and that's just for the challenge of it. I, uh, I blew it up and enhanced it, and you will see a little piece of that um, right on the left side uh, at the top. The, um, that's a blow-up of the Curiosity image, and yet below it, You'll notice the enhancement of the Chinese promotional picture. It's the same building, <laughs> the same structure. Now, I would have expected I was getting down to the level of brush. <laughs> it wouldn't have been wouldn't have been a surprise. Wouldn't have been a problem. Just oh look, they're imagining that there's pictures there. They, no, they weren't imagining anything. They took a real picture from NASA and uh, put it in. Now, I get two interesting things out of there. One, they picked something that had ruins on it. Two, they knew they were ruins. And three, they didn't know how to clean up the picture because I don't know why they left it all smudged and pixelated uh, the way that NASA releases them. And yet the uh, not-quite-raw version of the full frame is over on the top right with a little tiny arrow pointing to the spot where that came from. So you can see that's a humongous enlargement. So, I mean, there are, there are limits to anybody's <clears throat> incredible talents. Uh, but at least you can see what it is. And yet, you look at the two, compare the Chinese one to the enlargement from that frame from Curiosity. It's not the same angle, and yet they, it's only on one frame of the Curiosity catalog. They didn't take any other pictures of it because they didn't theoretically go over there. It's at the end of Dingo Gap, and there's, as you can see, some broken terrain, which has some pieces of buildings sticking up, actually, uh, in between there and the rover and uh, that site. And yet somehow this picture was taken from like 15 degrees counterclockwise to there because you can see the same features on the building, but they're rotated to the left. And I thought, okay, now the only way I could explain that, I mean, you could do that with clever photo equipment, but why bother? Um, the, you got your picture of a ruin, if that's the point you're trying to make. No, no, no. They somehow had gotten into NASA's archives, and they had gotten a hold of some of the pictures that we've all suspected that they take, those extra pictures that they don't post. Um and um, used one of those. And it just looked like it was a raspberry from across the Pacific. You know, like China was just thumbing their nose. And I don't know if NASA noticed it, but if they didn't, they certainly will now. And there should be at least a phone call. Uh, <laughs> but um, it was an odd choice because they're, they're, they're telegraphing their move. I mean, that is a ruin. Whatever you think about the uh, quality of the architecture, that sort of collapsed. I, I have class names for it. I call them there's wedding cake architecture. There's um, We don't have any of that depicted here, but believe me, that's the pretty stuff that looks like something out of a movie about elves. And there's uh, the collapsed shopping mall type of architecture, which is often probably the topmost part of some buried structure. But it's, uh, you know, that's, I can't think of a better analogy in Earth terms because it doesn't, it's not pretty and dynamic. And then there's the quasi-megalithic stuff. If you look down at the last image in the list, number 18, you will see a comparison between a plain old ordinary base 
of a structure that's gone now on at Canosos on Crete that I took. We won't talk about Stanley, who's standing in the middle of it. And below that, a picture from Curiosity, not far from where this, this picture in the Chinese picture was taken, um, right in front of it, of a virtually identical foundation. You know, that's our starting point. But uh, anyway, back to the Chinese one. Uh, I communicated all of this to, to Richard because I'm actually somewhat skeptical, at least up front. I'm my own worst critic all the time. And I said, can this be? And Richard said rather enthusiastically, yes. <laughs> so, really? Richard is enthusiastic so I, I, sometimes? Wow. He has his moments, yes. But um, So, yeah, that's, and he may have more to say about that. So that's why that one went up there first. But uh, when we get the um, – well, I might as well talk about four since we're here down one more the oh the intervening one the number two that is something from the Edgar Rice Burroughs fan base a special issue of their fanzine where they compiled um, there's 20 of them there there's 20 different maps of Barsoom uh, done by various people so you can see people are uh, because Edgar Rice Burroughs did not publish coordinates you know he had a measurement system in the books but uh, his own is, his own map of Mars is the upper left, and if you expand that incredibly large picture to look at it, you'll see it's just basically a piece of graph paper with some notes on it. Says, okay, this is over there, and this is over there, and this is over there, and um, he he just something to keep his thought. Yeah, Ron, your 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 signal is breaking up, so we're missing. Like every third word. Fortunately, we're coming oh, down. Oh, no. To, okay. We're coming down to the bottom of the hour. We're going to go to a break in a couple Okay, let me minutes, wrap. In, in a minute or so. Yeah. And then what we're going to do is we're going to reinitialize the phone call to you so that we may be able to get a better signal. Okay? Okay. Yeah, we're just about, yeah. Okay. And then um, then we can jump on number four, which we'll get into the um, Pathfinder. Yeah, let me let me go back to number one, which, of course, is the the trigger image of of tonight's discussion. I believe the Chinese have done this very deliberately. And remember, their intended audience is not the general world public yet. It is a specific shot across the bow of NASA and the Trump administration. And they're announcing in this image where they deliberately selected an obvious curiosity photo of ruins and put their lander uh, Tianwan, which means in Chinese, questions to heaven. And the question part and the heaven part are up for grabs. They're deliberately messaging in the best uh, Emily Dickinson fashion that they, in fact, are going to be the guys who are going to blow the whistle on the decades-long Martian cover-up. Hold it there, because we have to take a break. We're going to try to re-initialize the phone call to Ron The music tonight we're going to be playing in our bumpers is from the extraordinarily weird Disney film, John Carter. And as the morning progresses, I'll kind of give you a thumbnail sketch of why John Carter is so weird, because it should have been John Carter of Mars. But for some reason, the moguls at Disney, who of course made a $250 million movie, didn't want anybody to see it. So they hung it out there with the title merely John Carter. Who the heck was John Carter? Well, come back to us in about a minute and a half, and we'll let you know. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall return. On the other side of midnight, my name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall return. On the other side of midnight. Okay, Ron.
other side of midnight.com. Tune in to listen to Richard C. Hogland and his fascinating guests. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. Listen to past episodes anytime on any device. Search the archives of over 180 episodes. Membership costs $9.95 a month, $0.33 cents a day. Support the broadcaster to provide you with the most interesting conversation available. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. The other side of midnight.com. And welcome back, everyone, to the other side of midnight for this Saturday night, July 25th, 2020, with two missions en route to Mars. The United Arab Emirates and the nation of China, the um, People's Republic of China, as they prefer to be called, and about to join the flotilla or the fleet approaching Mars will be the NASA Perseverance rover to be launched at something like 7 a.m. Eastern Daylight Time from Cape Canaveral on Thursday morning. And if you go to the links there on the other side of midnight, you'll see I've got new stories of all three missions. The third mission described the Perseverance mission as a kind of a how-to to get up and watch NASA TV or watch the networks or follow it online so that there will be several briefings this week earlier as to what the mission will be accomplishing. But again, NASA itself has given us a kind of a preview of what could happen, as we've been discussing over the last several months. Um, a few weeks ago, they put out a press release where they made a big deal about the varying oxygen levels in the Martian atmosphere as detected by the Curiosity rover that mirrored the similar changing methane levels in the, oxy- in, the, in the atmosphere of Mars in parallel, rising and falling in synchronization. And they even asked in their press release uh, if anybody could kind of uh, understand what was going on, and if they did, give them a call because they were baffled. And as I discussed with one of my um, uh, colleagues and a guest on the air at the time, This, of course, was a cover story. They know exactly what it means. And the individual who came back with the right answer, Dr. Chandrawik Ramasinghe, who is probably the planet's foremost astrobiologist, is going to be joining us tomorrow night as we continue this two-part Perseverance weekend. And we're going to be talking about life in space, life from comets. Remember the comets out there? I'm going to talk a great deal about the comet uh, tomorrow night. I actually got to see it, and I will describe how hard it is uh, to see. And then we're going to talk about the implications, and then we're going to relate all of that back to Mars, because if, um, if Mars contains what we now strongly suspect, and which the Chinese seem to be telegraphing is waiting for these missions, then 2021 as I said a couple, three months ago, is going to be the year. So we're, let's uh, let's see if we can get uh, Ron back. Uh, Ron, are you there? Uh, I'm here. Ah, and we can hear you very clear. Okay, so okay, let's. Okay, I guess that's all it took. Okay, so let's 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 pick it up from where we left off. Okay. Okay, back to the pictures and stuff. The uh, yeah, if. Everybody should uh, boot up the map and fill up a whole screen on one of your many monitors at home or uh, or just blow it up on your phone and take a look. You'll see the uh, there's a strange similarity of uh, or a strange matchup between where some of them are going to where some of the landers are going to be and some of the notable places on Mars. 
but there's one in uh one in particular that I'll let Richard uh talk about in a minute. And uh, I should explain the reason there's little people all over it. This is based on uh, an app by someone named Canada with a K. And they did a wonderful job of locating all of those because, like I was saying, uh, Edgar Rice Burroughs didn't really have a proper map that he put together. So everybody had to figure, okay, so many hods or so many miles, however they wanted to measure it, from here to there. And they were going in this direction, and the sun was over that shoulder. And um, so they by consensus, kind of like the um, Star Trek people worked out how to do star dates, they figured out where uh, most all of the cities mentioned in the books are. And uh, it's a pretty good bet. The The odd thing was that a couple of them are right on um, the lat, uh, latitude and longitude of other things that we're familiar with for other reasons. And this was all done back at the beginning of the 20th century. Anyway, number twenty or number four of the pictures on there is um, so, so you're skipping around a bit. Okay. Cause I want to come back to the map in a minute. Oh yeah. No, I said, everybody should keep the map handy at all times, but we can't, you know, <laughs> we can't just dwell on it and do nothing. Uh, the uh, number four you will find is a, is a kind of a ridiculously large image. Uh, I've always been fascinated with past pathfinder. I love that mission for some reason. And uh, of course, aside from the fact that it was sent, aside from the fact, Ron, it was sent to Mars in a tetrahedrally shaped spacecraft and landed at 19.5. That's there's there's more reason to know this mission. (laughs) Yeah, there's little details like that, but the um, a couple things people should know. One, the features that you see are uh, smaller than you think they are uh, because taken from, you know, six inches off the ground by the um, Sojourner rover. And those two so-called mountains, the um, twin peaks in the background, are only like a half mile away. So that's a lot of stuff packed in there. And uh, if you blow it up, you'll find something interesting. Never before was one able to see what the detail was. You had to kind of estimate it from the best enhancement you could do. However... Uh, I remember Richard saying back in the Pathfinder days that the um, they landed it in a Martian junkyard, and that still kind of fits. He's got a picture to re- relate to that, I believe. But um, what happened was uh, not that long ago, they released new images. I noticed for about a year or more, NASA has been backfilling their archives with cleaner, better copies of various images in various programs. With Pathfinder, they went all out because the original images, if you could still find them, they looked like somebody was collecting postage stamps or was putting together a jigsaw puzzle, and uh, then they dropped it on the floor before the glue dried, and they all kind of shuffled around. Uh, I mean, it's that bad. Now, the camera took rather small frames. This is not like it took huge plate images or anything. And so they did have to make mosaics with them and fit them together. And not only that, they didn't, uh, they had to do triplets. They had to do red, green, and blue filter shots of each one and then assemble those and then put all those together. Now that's good. That's good, fun, busy work for most nerds, but it's, um, they didn't do it. They just left them all messy and overlapping. And so most of the pictures are just, you know there's something interesting there, but you can't see it. Okay, and let, the only let, thing let, that... let, let me stop you there, because if you compare number four in Ron's section with number four in my section, just scroll up a smidge, because they're not far apart on the page, click on my number Perfect. four. This is the complete, revised, upgraded, enhanced, super-duper NASA version of its 1997 Pathfinder mosaic taken from the lander, not from the little rover, a sojourner. You can see on the right-hand side, nestled up against that boulder-looking thing, the rover, little sojourner, and you can see how small it is. And yes, its camera was just a few inches above the surface, but the lander, actually, the camera is maybe half the height of a standing uh, person, maybe three or four feet above the terrain. And if you look at this carefully, if you take it into... uh, an imaging program, you know, download it 
and look at those features individually, you will see some of the most extraordinary details, which up until the last couple of weeks, NASA had not deigned to give us. And as I've said many, many times on the show with Joseph Farrell and many other guests, what I've been tracking them doing, meaning NASA, is quietly going into the files and replacing the crappy imagery, which concealed all the really neat stuff on Mars, with really amazing new imagery based on the same database. They just professionally worked it like they should have done in the beginning, and they're quietly substituting all these really amazing images for the crappy stuff that was there before. And the reason I've said they're doing this is an insurance policy because they're getting ready for the big reveal when the world press is going to be absolutely inundating all their files, looking to see what they've done in years and decades past. And they will claim with a perfectly straight face that they haven't covered up anything that we're just too lazy to go and check the files. And these images have been there all along. And who is to, you know, prove them wrong? The point is, it's been an indicator to me and certain other people for many, many, you know, months and, and a couple of years now that NASA was getting ready for something huge, like the announcement that Mars used to be the kind of place, quoting Elton John, to raise your kids. Ron? Yes. And uh, that's a, yeah, jumping to number five was a good idea. You can see the, uh, on his, I mean. Yeah, or you said number four. Number four, yeah. Number five. Well, let's not get to number five yet. Yeah. No, no. I mean, oh, okay, if, okay. If, well, well we'll go, if, okay. If, I have... if you want to, yeah, let's let's go to number five in my section because on the cleaned up imagery, if you click on number five, right there in the far landscape, you can see what is obviously to anybody who's an expert, um, looks like a heat shield and a ballistic nose cone with the parachute. Uh, you know, details on the back un, uncovered. And I've inserted there a small view of the um, Curiosity entry vehicle showing the same kind of curved heat shield with the back cover still on, which when it comes off, you'll see that kind of mechanical detail. So on the Pathfinder landscape at 19.5 degrees, 33 degrees west, um, there is something that looks for all the world like a primitive terrestrial spacecraft uh, lander, nose cone, um, ballistic reentry vehicle lying out there amid all the other junk at the Pathfinder landing site. And the biggest mystery, Ron, of course, that you and I have discussed is how the hell is it there? I mean, let's assume for a moment that it's from Earth and it's, you know, from the, let's say, the Soviet Union. The odds with these ballistic entries of our pathfinders setting down anywhere near enough to photograph a previous Soviet mission, which wasn't, shall we say, cataloged or announced, is infinitesimal. I mean, you'd have better odds of going to Vegas and blindly, you know, shooting craps to try to make a win than this happening on Mars. So what I think we're looking at is part of an ancient entry vehicle from a previous advanced but not super advanced Martian indigenous civilization. And that makes much better sense than saying that the uh, NASA people kind of stumbled over a previous unknown Soviet landing on Mars. Thoughts? It actually, yeah, it actually makes a lot of sense. The, uh, I mean, what else would you go, are you going to call it? I mean, uh, I'm saying that because I've been looking at Martian ruins for many, many years before anybody believed that I, what I was looking at were ruins. And um, so it's, you know, but to me, I said, yeah, that's an anomaly in that context. That shouldn't be there. That's not one of theirs, in the, of the ones that we know of. And if you want to, if anybody wants to jump to number eight in my list, uh, you can see what the actual Pathfinder lander looked like. I mean, when it came down, it looked like something out uh, from under a microscope because it was completely surrounded by these big inflated uh, Kevlar. It wasn't actually Kevlar, but it was something very similar to it. Uh, balls. Uh, and it just bounced Airbag. around for a Airbag, while. And then yeah. it, airbags. Yes. And they, uh, but people think airbag, they think of one thing and it had a whole bunch of them. And 
So they all deflated after it landed, and they actually had a system built in so that it could suck them back inside the lander uh, so they wouldn't sully the landscape. But you'll see a couple of pictures there, and that inset on the lowest one is one of the big surprises because there's a um, carved head of, well, I'll call it a caveman. Uh, uh, tonight's not the night to argue which, uh, whether it's Neanderthal or Homo erectus or what, glaring toward the lander. And if you look closely at in the color one at the bottom, the uh, especially, you can see that the Pathfinder lander itself actually ended up sitting on top of a building. <laughs> There's foundations leaking out from underneath it. And if anybody thinks that there's anything hinky about that picture of the caveman, uh, look at the one right above it, which is a black and white shot of the same thing. And uh, over on the bottom left of it, you'll see the same, you'll see the same guy. You can see him there um, and some other stuff. And there's a lot. Uh, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of those. And then you jump back to number five on mine. And you've got um, pictures, and you've got the Sojourner bumped up against the most famous rock, um, Yogi, which everybody thinks they've seen a dozen times or a hundred times. But on the cleaned-up image, you can see that no, it's not exactly what they—it's uh, not exactly a rock. Um, in fact, it's not a rock at all. It's some sort of piece of machinery. I and I admit it looks like a bearskin laying on top of it. I. Haven't got a full explanation for the brown part, but their explanation that it is a boulder that rolled over and therefore part of it was protected under the ground for a while, and that's why it's a different color. Anybody that's gone hiking out in the desert or someplace has seen rocks like that, but that this isn't that. And down in the well, shadow. Hang on, part, hang on. You only see rocks like that if they're on slopes and they are dislodged and they can roll down the slope and it's, uh, you know, come to rest at a different angle. This thing is sitting on perfectly flat ground, so what turned it over? Right, exactly. It didn't. It's actually more like a shell because in the shadow part at the bottom, and this is one of those things, I didn't believe it myself uh, because I'm always ready to think that there are imaging artifacts in there. But if you blow it up a little bit, you can see there's some machinery in there. It's That's not uh, that lightning bolt looking thing there is actually just different colors on some parts of the machinery and that's what they covered up if you look at one of the official issue pictures of yogi you will find that the in the oldest ones there was that's one with an overlap when they put together the mosaic the adjacent frame was shifted at an angle and up and to so that you couldn't really see that part no matter what you did and now i see why because it's so obviously artificial i mean i don't think they were as bothered by the effects on the top you can also see that it's not the same shape as they said either because the on the extreme left the bump there is another uh piece of something that is apart from it you know you can see the edge of it uh sojourners bumped right up against the front edge and you can follow that right up from the sojourner yeah and there. the reason they did and, that is because the little sojourner rover carried uh, an experiment called apex which basically was an acronym for alpha particle experiment. Alpha particles are helium nuclei, which are ejected from certain radioactive uh, uh, materials at high speed. If you use them as a probe of other materials, in other words, you have like a sensor head, which is you've got the radioactive source inside and it's emitting these alpha particles and the alpha particles uh, interact with the object you're trying to measure, you can get chemistry, you can get actual chemical and elemental compositions of the object you're measuring using this little uh, alpha particle detector. So that's what they did. They, you know, gently moved the rover up until the sensor head was touching, Yo was it, Yogi Yell, and then they waited several days for the counts to build up so that the background noise, radiation environment on Mars is a bit higher than on Earth because it doesn't have a magnetic field, has a very thin atmosphere, so the background radiation levels are significantly higher than here on Earth. So they needed a long integration time to get a decent count. And then they were supposed to have revealed what this object was made of. So, of course, given that they've been covering up with the images, 
one has to wonder, were they actually telling us the truth when they gave us the uh, signature, the elemental signature of what Yogi really was? And I, of course, strongly doubt it. Now, I have not gone into the files to see if those files have been changed, have not had time yet. But I would imagine if they're getting ready for the big reveal and scientists who are going to be asking these obvious questions, well, if that's an artifact, if that's a chunk of machinery heavily eroded, it would have an extraordinarily different signature in terms of elemental composition than if it was a rock. I would imagine that they would have to replace that data so the two would be consistent. And we'll leave it up, as they used to say, for the student to follow up on this and maybe give us an email. Ron? What did they say it was made of? What did they say it was made of? A chunk of basalt. Now, basalt. Now, basalt, of course. Look on the right side of it. it. It's obviously metal. It's obviously metal. There's nothing obvious about anything NASA ever does, but I would say the likelihood it's some kind of metallic object. So if they were saying that it was iron, you know, and they were telling us what percentages, I mean, you could have a metallic object, which was iron, you know, with other things like steel. If you measure, you know, a chunk of steel with this little alpha particle spectrometer, you'll get iron and carbon, right? But unless you saw it, you wouldn't know that it was just not a chunk of natural iron with maybe a smudge of, you know, uh, uh, organic uh, carbon, at least on Earth. You wouldn't expect organic carbon in their model on Mars. But in other words, there are ways to fudge these papers so that they didn't have to actually lie. They just did their own version of Emily Dickinson. They didn't tell the entire truth. Or if they did, they told it so slant that nobody could reconstruct it until they replaced the data in the file. My original uh, thought for the show had, didn't get to the Barsoom part. It was uh, I was just going to say, what's on Mars and why should anybody care? And then I was going to parade some examples of ruins and things like that and try once again valiantly to indicate that they were uh, there was a great similarity. Well, why but, don't we um, back up and kind of give people who, of course, we have new people joining all the time, and even those that have been with us for a long time may not have heard the full story of Burroughs. Who was Edgar Rice Burroughs, and why should we give a damn about his perceptions of the planet Barsoom, a.k.a. Mars? You're asking me. Yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> You're the guest. All right. He, uh, <laughs> yes, I am. Uh, he was a writer at the beginning of the um, 20th century. He was born in um, 1890. I think he was born in like 1893. I'm not looking at his bio. No, bio it was right older now, than something that. Like that. No, it was older than that. 1870, 1870 something. Somewhere around there, yes. The point that is that the, point, the point is that he became this incredibly prolific writer, and he was the guy who wrote the Tarzan series, you know, ultimately culminating in the movies of the Johnny Weissmeller and all that. But in parallel, he wrote about this alien world, Barsoom, which was an incredibly thinly veiled, you know, uh, substitution for the planet Mars, and he peopled Mars with all kinds of exotic creatures civilizations, beings, ancient warfare, and then he transported via some uh, magical, non-technological means, an average Earth guy, a veteran of the Civil War, to Mars in literally one fell swoop. And I remember Sagan saying that he kept standing in his backyard in Brooklyn trying to do the John Carter thing by twirling around, holding his arms out at full length and wishing he was on Mars. Didn't work. Carl stayed around. That was actually the one thing in the movie that they uh, uh, were faithful to Burroughs, I, I thought. He was, a, he was being chased by some uh, Apaches and he climbed up into a cave to get away from them. And it turned out it was a sacred cave. So everybody stood back and didn't go in there. And there were strange writings in the cave. And he sort of passed out. And then he found himself on Mars. So it was, well, it, it turned out to be an ancient, some kind of ancient portal or transporter between two worlds. Uh, obviously a leftover from an extraordinarily advanced ancient civilization, either on Earth or on Mars. 
the Orovars in the case of the um, Martians. Yes. The, uh, yeah, they were the ones that built the atmosphere plant that kept the uh, – see, there were so many details that were more than just the kind of cocktail speculations that uh, Percival Lowell and um, Chaparelli and uh, the other interested uh, luminary names of the uh, of the Victorian era and, era and beyond uh, would pass around, would pass back and forth at a party. It was uh, okay. Something happened to the planet and it lost its atmosphere, but it lost it rather slowly. Okay, that there were people there, and they did something to try and protect themselves. Now, these are all very particular speculations. You wouldn't have to think along those lines unless you had some reason to. And uh, it's very strange how much, how well they line up with what the actual observable evidence seems to be. And uh, the uh, idea of an atmosphere plant came from Burroughs, as far as I know, the uh, that they had some facility that would um, to reconstitute a, a diminishing atmosphere, which ultimately, as any scientist of that era would have projected, would ultimately mean the demise of all life on Mars. So to stave that off, this ancient, really advanced culture instituted a, 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 a technology to replenish Mars' atmosphere within limits and then they disappeared, most of them, and they were left to a subsequent uh, Martian race, the so-called Red Martians, to maintain and keep up the atmospheric machine or machines, because you need more than one, to replenish the Martian atmosphere for as long as the technology could function. Right. My own research has made a slightly different uh take on that but that's you know it's burrow's idea was close enough the um uh what they did was hunker in place and they chose various craters where there was water available uh like gale like jezero um starting to see a pattern um and uh nasa has been aiming for these places and then they always mention possibility of water well of course there was that's why they went there and what they did was dome over the entire crater it's uh not as un especially at a lower gravity it's not that unfeasible and um that leads to another picture which is why i throw it in because it's I've been well why don't we hold on that because we're coming up to the top of the hour my guest this morning is ron gerbron member of our enterprise mission imaging team and we're going to talk a bit about the book toward the end of the show because we've now passed a huge marker that I kind of set in the sand. And we'll describe what that is when we return. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We're discussing Mars, Burroughs Mars, NASA's Mars, China's Mars. Is China, in fact, going to be revealing that the Burroughs ideas for ancient many civilizations on an ancient dying world is in fact scientific truth and not just fiction. You're on the other side of midnight. We shall return. Thanks for listening to this exciting first hour. Now, the second and third hour of the show is available to Club 19.5 members only. Please support the show by subscribing to Club 19.5 and join our very interesting community. To do that, please visit the website, theothersideofmidnight.com, and click on the Join Club 19.5 link in the left-hand column. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll gain access to the rest of this show and all previous 350-plus shows that we have done. Now, recent Club 19.5 member archive recording have the commercials removed, and the sound quality has been enhanced. You'll also receive a dedicated private podcast feed that contains these enhanced show recordings. And you'll be able to download the MP3 files directly from the archive if you prefer. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll also be the first to preview our new videos and reports. We'll be adding exclusive new features to Club 19.5 as we go forward. And boy, have we got some amazing things to tell you about in the coming weeks. 
So please support the show and don't miss all the exciting new things we have planned. I want to thank all our Club 19.5 members because without your guys' support, this show would not be on the air. Please help us continue growing the show by subscribing to Club 19.5 today. And when I say we really need you, we really need you. Over and out. <laughs>